Shut up and sit down. What I'm going to largely talk about, which is the first 30 pages and how they give you everything. Welcome to Popcraft, where we autopsy the screenplays behind your favorite films and TV shows. I'm your host, Carl Albert, and I'm here this week with an episode covering Shutter Island, the movie directed by Martin Scorsese, the screenplay of which was written by Leda Kalogridis. I hope I said that right. It's a Greek name. Leda Kalogridis, and adapted from the novel by Dennis Lehane. This is an amazing movie. I had been meaning to see it for years, and I had to talk about it, and I just, it blew me away. I mean, it many times Oscar nominated, you know, it's one of the, the great movies, I believe, where Leo got nominated for an Oscar but didn't win it before The Revenant, and it's just an amazing movie, but really, at the core of this episode of Popcraft, and at the core of Shutter Island, well, we're going to discuss a singular twist. You know, the story of Shutter Island revolves around a twist. So, obviously, there will be spoilers for Shutter Island. Now, as a general update about the show, I do want to say, before we get too much further, that Season 2 of Popcraft is going to focus a lot more on episodes with just me, singularly. One, because it's just easier to produce. You know, I'm doing all of this myself. It's more practical. It's easier than, like, reaching out, getting a bunch of guests, you know, exchanging emails, everything. Like, I, I you know, I'm still doing that, still scheduling things. But it is frankly easier. And you know, this is a hobby for me. It also really lets me dig into the craft. And I do find that I think sometimes when I have more back and forth with guests, they're very cool. And often those episodes are funnier and in some ways more fun. But they really can sometimes swerve away from really the purpose behind PopCraft, which is to focus on the actual craft of writing and what it looks like on the page and the lessons we can learn the great writers of our time. With that said, let's jump into one of the great scripts of our time based on a novel from which the twist came, Shutter Island. So the twist of Shutter Island is that our main character, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Teddy, who we believe is a U.S. Marshal for most of the movie, that he is in fact living out this delusion he has created under the supervision of the staff of this mental institution where he has been institutionalized after his wife killed their three children and after he killed her. And so his mind is broken, his psyche is broken completely. And the idea is through this experimentation, through him living out this investigation of this missing patient, you know, he's a U.S. Marshal investigating a missing patient on the island, on the mental institution. He will then open up his mind and kind of connect the pieces himself of what happened to him, of the truth of him, of who he really is. That he is this man, Latis, who he believes he's hunting down, who he blames for uh, the death of his wife. We get that quite symbolically, but simply and very honestly in the opening image of the movie of a ship emerging from the mist, right? that Teddy has to come out of the mist of his mind. Latus has to come out of the mist of his mind. It's symbolic, it's a little bit pretentious. But it's a very striking image, but it's honest too. You know, it doesn't take, you don't have to dig too deep to understand what they're saying there once you understand the full scope of the movie. It's also just really atmospheric. I mean, it's a great way to open the movie. And speaking of openings, 
before we dig into the twist and exactly how the twist functions, I do want to bring up the mice quotient. Obviously, the mice quotient by now, if you've listened to other episodes of season two of Popcraft, you know, it's become a focus of this season. It's something, you know, I think an undertaught, underspoken of theory about storytelling. So check out episode two, where I discuss it in detail. But MICE is an acronym that stands for milieu, inquiry, character, and event. It's basically the idea that these are the four types of stories that you can see together, combine the different plots and subplots in a given narrative. And in the case of Shutter Island, the reason I want to bring up the MICE quotient in relation to Shutter Island is that it's a really interesting case. You know, I think often in stories, it's quite easy to nail, you know, it's like, oh, okay, this story is an inquiry. Um, this subplot is all about this minor character's arc, you know. The Lord of the Rings is, or The Hobbit is even a better example of uh, a milieu because it's about leaving the Shire. And it, it, when Bilbo Baggins returns to the Shire, then, you know, the milieu ends. And at first glance, Shutter Island is a milieu story. You know, it really is about Latis, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, coming to the island and living out his delusion and ending when he leaves the island. And he ultimately leaves the island in death, or that's the implication by the end of the movie. Or if not death, then, um, you know, a lobotomy that will leave him potentially catatonic. But at the same time, we're really, we open up with Teddy, with Latis, right? We open up with him being seasick, throwing up into a toilet, we open up with his character, and he even says to himself in the opening, get it together. Now, this is obviously a kind of, it's not overly specific, but that's really what his story is about, is he has to get it together. He has to pull his psyche together. I mean, it literally, that, that's it. I mean, this is a very intentional writing technique, I can tell you. Uh, it's not, you know, reading into it too much. The writers want you to think about how Teddy needs to pull himself together. And when you go back and watch it, you realize he's talking about that very literally, not just like kind of, oh, muster, you know, your courage, like you're about to go on this investigation, you know, you're seasick, like stop, you know, vomiting into a toilet. Like it really is about Teddy. And certainly Teddy slash latest isn't aware of this as he's saying it, getting it together. And so I would argue that really it's a character story first and foremost that it starts with character and ends with teddy slash latest deciding that he would rather die a good man than live as a monster you know that's his great final line to <laughs> quote chuck his his partner really his psychiatrist who's played by mark ruffalo and so again despite me arguing this i think it's muddy you know i think it's difficult to tell is this a milieu story first and foremost is this a character story first and foremost? Certainly, secondarily, it's an inquiry, right? We don't open with a murder. We don't open with a body. We don't open with some mystery that we're going to investigate and we're going to end with that uh, investigation, with the solution, right? The inquiry drives much of the story. It is hugely important, but you see it seated in to the mice quotient, right? Whether this is a milieu, excuse me, whether this is a milieu or a character story first and foremost, whether you know you want to argue it starts as a milieu and ends as a milieu, or starts as a character story and ends as a character story about you know Teddy Latus's arc, it certainly secondarily is an inquiry. And you see, we then learn about this investigation, and then Teddy, you know, within ten minutes before the ending of the movie, 
finishes the inquiry, and then has to finish his arc, which is why I argue that ultimately it's a character story. But really, again, you can see how these tie together and how the mice quotient is very clever and very helpful, and I like it a lot, but things can get muddy. And you can see how these sort of storylines, these ideas, can potentially mix together. They can merge together, you know. They may not necessarily always be black and white. Now, with that said, one last little thing. This is going to sound really stupid, actually. I, I am self-conscious even talking about this, but I did mention in last episode, when we were talking about Halloween, about how the stakes are raised when night falls. We just instinctively, as human beings, I mean, some of this is like coding from Hollywood. We've seen so many movies. We've heard so many stories, read so many stories that we are like, oh, night falls, shit's about to go down. Similarly, Shutter Island very early on tells you a storm's coming and they build up the storm and they play out the storm through the story. This is a way to raise stakes. This is a small thing, but it is a thing to be aware of as a writer is like, if you want to trap a character, well, I mean, put them on an island first and foremost, but put them on an island with a hurricane or, you know, have a storm strike and make it, you know, so that there's no electricity, whatever, you know, you can extrapolate from this. But the idea is even just subconsciously, the audience, when they hear a storm is coming, they're going to lean forward in their seats. They're going to go, oh, fuck. You know, I mean, it's there's a reason it's, it was a dark and stormy night is like the most cliche line in the English language, right? This is a powerful tool, right? Storms are powerful symbols and powerful just drivers of narrative. Now, with that said, let's get to the storm in Latus's mind, what this story is really about. It's the tempest inside him. Pardon my pretentious metaphors here, right? But I mean, this movie definitely plays with a lot of dream imagery, a lot of symbolism. Uh, we won't get too deep into that because, again, I think I, I, I don't want to overwhelm the story with sort of a, an academic uh, inquiry, if you will, into what all the symbols mean in this movie. We've talked about the mist. And I what I really want to talk about, though, as I opened up with what this is really about, we're going to start and end with the twist. So I think the first thing to note is, well, yes. A lot of this movie's, like, the impact of it lives and dies by the twist. How you know it's a really good twist is on a rewatch, you don't feel, you know, like it's a lesser movie. It's a completely different movie. You love it, right? Like, I, I didn't rewatch the movie. I read the script, actually, after I saw the movie. And it was just crazy going through the script, going through what I'm going to largely talk about, which is the first 30 pages and how they give you everything. They give you the twist. They give you everything you need to guess the twist in the first 30 pages. They play fair. That is part of what's so satisfying about this on a rewatch, on a reread. You know, this is what's so important about a twist is you need to lay the seeds. But then why, like how, how can you lay the seeds and not just have the audience guess it or most of the audience guess it, right? Well, one of the key ways to do it, and this is something that Agatha Christie, the queen of murder mysteries, the queen of whodunits, figured out very quickly, very early on, is you have to redirect the audience's attention. You have to play with audience expectations. And Shutter Island does this masterfully. The first way they do this, and probably the most important way they do this, is they tell you that this is a story about a woman who escaped. She is supposedly mentally ill. She has this delusion. This is a story about a woman who escaped and they're gonna find her. And so you come in thinking, okay, this is a noir. This movie has the trappings of a noir. It's shot like a noir. The characters are dressed like they're in a noir. They're U.S. Marshals, right? They're investigating. Excuse me, I keep choking on my own throat, my saliva. Ugh. Um, 
so you think come in thinking that this story is about something different than what it is, even though you are given everything you need to know from the get go. That you don't open, you know, with this mystery. That that is not what this movie is about. You open with Teddy slash Latis vomiting into a toilet, and more than that, you're not just told that this is a woman who escaped. You're told it's an impossible escape. Like explicitly, characters talk about how it's impossible. They have no idea how she could have gotten out. What's going on? This mentally ill woman somehow manages to sneak out in the dead of night. No one saw her. No one knows where she is. No one can find her. And as you continue to unravel this and unravel this conspiracy, you know, as if you were, you're like, okay, you know, this is a movie. So maybe there's some absolutely absurd, unrealistic conspiracy going on. Or maybe it's all bullshit. It's all made up. It's all part of Latis' delusion. That is the twist, is that this crazy noir plot you're following is all bullshit. It's all just like Teddy making stuff up to try to make sense of his broken psyche, of the pain inside him, you know, to more than anything to escape it, to not confront it. And he has to confront it. He has to get it together. And so you're redirected to think, okay, so this is a noir movie. This is an investigation into a missing woman. This is maybe supernatural. There's kind of weird seemingly mystical stuff going on and you realize okay no that's all bullshit it's all just teddy imagining there's weird shit going on and so because we're in teddy's viewpoint we also imagine there's weird shit going on that's not there at all we think oh because this is a mental institution they must be doing a bunch of horrible shit pop you know in the popular consciousness we think of lobotomies which all this stuff really happened you know they're they're (laughs) even the institution in this movie has a history of doing a lot of horrible stuff. But our focus is the doctor character played by Ben Kingsley, right? And we are introduced to him seeming very sincere. We're introduced to him not only as being incredibly intelligent, but as being very progressive, as him wanting to care and heal these people, not torment them, not leave them in cages. He remarks on how horrible this place used to be, about how horrible lobotomies are, about how he wants to avoid that at all costs. He wants to heal people. He wants to take care of people. Everything we're given should make us believe he's being sincere. If you watch this play out, like I remember having this sort of double take where I was watching Ben Kingsley and I was like, okay, so like clearly this guy's a bad guy, right? Like I've seen Ben Kingsley in movies and I, you know, I've I've seen mental institutions in movies. Like I know where this is going, this investigation, like it's going to be conspiracy involving the whole staff. And so you make the audience start working against themselves. They don't even realize that they themselves are falling for the same bullshit Teddy is. You continue, again, you are given that the doctor is sincere, and not just that he's sincere, not just that he cares about his patients, that he's trying experimental things. And one of the experimental tactics, one of the experimental methods he has of trying to heal people is of letting them play out their delusions. Literally, the woman who escaped, he explicitly mentions early on that they let her, everyone in the staff, lets her play out her delusion that she did not kill her three children. And of course, the woman who killed the three children is, I mean, beyond not being real, is really the story of Latis's wife, that Latis's wife killed their three kids. And so you're given all of these seats. And, you know, see, so the, the woman's story, you know, the, the story of this woman's escape doesn't make sense. The doctor seems sincere. The doctor lets his patients, if they're, you know, an extreme enough case, play out their delusions. On top of that, we know literally from the second scene that Leonardo DiCaprio latest is in that he is an unreliable narrator 
that his memory isn't great. You know, he asks his partner, Chuck, where are my cigs? I swore I had them on me. Where are my cigs? And so Chuck has to give him his cigarettes. This dude, his memory isn't great. There's some sort of issue going on. Now, of course, as a patient, he probably would not be just like handed cigarettes or maybe he did forget them. I mean, the point is, is that his, he's not in a great mental state, right? And you can piece this together quickly. And he starts having flashes of this woman, his wife, who we find out is dead. So we know he's lived out this trauma. And we start to see more flashes to his time uh, at Dachau as a soldier in World War II discovering the concentration camps, the horrors that happened there. So we know this guy's deeply traumatized and we know he's having these delusions about his wife that he's seen these images. You know, we know that he's unreliable, but because we open with him, because we just believe instinctively that, you know, this cop, this, this guy investigating things is trustworthy. We just assume that, right? Even though we're shown everything to think to the contrary, right? This guy's clearly not reliable. And so we, you know, then wonder, okay, so maybe it's about this guy who has inner demons, like in a noir movie, having to confront his inner demons through this investigation. Again, no, they're just redirecting our attention away from what this story is really about, which is about Latus and his broken psyche. I mean, you even see in the opening scene with Chuck, you know, in quotes, Chuck, Mark Ruffalo's character, whose actual name I cannot recall, he gets his own story wrong. Teddy is like, you know, what are, he, he, he mentions that Chuck is from Portland and Chuck corrects him and says, oh, no, I'm from Seattle. And later, he then in, literally within that same conversation talks about being from Portland. He gets his own story wrong and Teddy corrects him. And it's a blink and you'll miss it moment. But Teddy corrects him about where he's from. And on top of that, Chuck literally in that opening conversation tells Teddy, you got to get out of your head. He has a whole part of the conversation where not only he redirects Teddy's attention to thinking about his wife, which is the goal of the whole thing, to confront what his wife did and what he did to his wife. But he literally tells Teddy, you gotta get out of your head. That is the entire fucking story. Again, within the first 30 minutes of the movie, as soon as they start investigating the missing woman it, within the mental institution, they find this strange card, you know, the rule of four. And below that, who is 67? Well, we don't really know what that means. And certainly it might be a little bit before we do find out. But once we do, we find out there is there are 66 patients within the institution on the island who is 67. Well, we know it's got to be someone important. We know it's got to be someone in our main cast. It's got to be tied to the story. In the end, who it has to be, what's the most dramatic person for it to be, is Teddy, is the latest, is Leonardo DiCaprio's character. And that, in general, I would say is a good rule of thumb. For not only when you're writing things, but if you're analyzing a movie, you know, as you watch it, ask yourself when you're presented with a mystery, what is the most dramatic option? Who is the most dramatic option to be the murderer, to be, you know, the mystery 67th patient, right? What is the most dramatic answer to that question? And often that is the answer. That's the twist. The most dramatic option. Because the writers know they want the story to be compelling. They want the audience to be moved. And so that means not only making the twist believable, giving you the seeds, but also redirecting your attention so it's genuinely surprising, but making it a dramatic answer that it's not just some rando, right? The 67th person isn't just some random extra in one of the scenes. It is our main character. And frankly, and this is a really important thing to address, and obviously everything you know I talk about here, I, I, I'm always quick and self-conscious to mention, you know, this is all subjective. And I do believe that writing is so subjective. Filmmaking is so subjective. People are constantly 
breaking rules, you know, that are supposed to be, you know, unbreakable, that are, that this is how you write a good story and people break them all the time. But one I certainly hold to is that if the answer to the question, if the answer to the mystery isn't the most dramatic option, it's a bad idea. Pick the most dramatic option. If your murderer is someone who's only like kind of related and isn't that motivated, you know, it doesn't have the most interesting motivation to kill the person who's murdered. You know, if the answer to the question of who is the 67th patient isn't really fucking dramatic, if not the absolute most dramatic solution, it's a bad idea. Pick the most dramatic option. You may be worried about getting melodramatic. Well, guess what? Shakespeare wrote melodramas. Lean into the drama. Pick the interesting choice. Don't pick something just because you think it's going to be subversive or, you know, whatever, surprising. Like, it's in the writing. It's in the structuring of the story that you make it surprising. Pick the dramatic option. And, of course, the option that fits the type of story you're telling. And, again, the story is all about Latus. It's all about his broken psyche and healing that. And he does so, which leads us to the really tragic ending. Uh, it's left ambiguous, but, you know, I certainly believe that when he says, you know, it's better to die a good man than to live as a monster, that he is aware of who he is and what he has done and what he has experienced, his trauma, that he hasn't, you know, fallen back and into his delusions again. And it's just, it's so sad and it's such a powerful ending. I mean, this is not a movie, you know, that you're going to come away from feeling very good about. Uh, it's a movie you'll come away from feeling moved, but it is bleak. It is heavy. And it's just so well done. I mean, everyone involved with the movie was firing on all cylinders. Now, we do focus on writing here. I, you know, want to bring things back, bring things full circle. To just say, in your twist, give us everything we need as early as possible. Ideally in the first act. But hide it, not by, you know, over-obfuscation. You don't have to make up a bunch of bullshit. You don't have to have an unsatisfying answer that, you know, the audience will be like, well, surely it's not that. No. Hide it by redirecting the audience's attention away from the twist, away from the truth of the mystery in your movie. In the case of Shutter Island, we think we're watching a completely different movie than we are. But it's satisfying, even so, because in the end, it's all about Teddy. And it is a mystery. There is a mystery and we learn the answers and all the pieces fit together. We're given every single detail right in the first 30 pages. Now, how amazing is that? Well, thank you again for listening to Popcraft. Oh, it was just so exciting watching this movie and just being like, I'm actually working on something that has a, a big twist right now, a mystery storyline. And it blew my mind and actually helped a lot of pieces fall into place for me. And I hope Shutter Island can do the same for you. It's just a phenomenal story. Please consider leaving a review. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen to it. You can email me at popcraftpodcast at gmail.com. Consider donating to Patreon. Tell everyone you know about this podcast. I just do this for fun, really, but you know, I appreciate any feedback I get. Uh, I'd love to interact with y'all. Love to hear, you know, what you think of Shutter Island. And if there's anything in particular you want me to cover on this podcast, whether it be a movie or a TV show or a topic, let me know. I'll be back again in two weeks with another episode. I've been your host, Carl Albert, and this is Popcraft.